crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. told Aaron anytime he wants to do a need to breathe song for offertory, it's all good with me. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. I grew up um, in an era where we didn't wear helmets for everything that was even a little bit dangerous. And therefore, we had the chance to play games on the playground that mattered. And one of those games was entitled Red Rover. Who's with me? So Red Rover, if you're not familiar, is a game where you link arms with other people and there's other people on the other side of you linked arms as well. And you say what? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Ryan right over, right? And what I found is there's two people, types of people in life. So when your name's called, you have to run, right? And Try your best to break through the human chain that's on the other side uh, without getting clotheslined by people or anything like that. And I found that there's two types of people in life and really only two types of people in life. There are people who love to hear their name called in Red Rover. And there are people who hate to hear their name called in Red Rover. So if you're one of those people that love to hear your name called Red Rover, will you just raise your hand for me? So just take a look around. You don't want to mess with these people, okay? You don't want... Now, if you didn't like to hear your name called in Red Rover, raise your hand, okay? You want to mess with them, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I think life is a little bit like Red Rover. I think life in the kingdom of God can feel a little bit like Red Rover. I mean, if you've been here over the last few months, here's what you've heard Jesus invite you to. So you live life knowing that you're blessed regardless of your circumstances. You, you live life in the kingdom of God, becoming more and more free from anger, becoming more and more free from lust, becoming more and more honest about who you are, your, the good things about you, the shortcomings that you have. You live in the kingdom learning to love your enemies instead of persecute them, to bless people instead of curse them, people that are do you wrong. You learn how to live a life of prayer. You learn how to be a non-anxious presence in the world. You learn how to trust your good father for everything that you need. And you begin to learn not to judge the people around you, but to be for them. And then Jesus releases you into the world. And he says, go, be salt and light. And there's two types of people. There's people that want to be salt and light, and they want to bowl everybody over, don't they? Right? They've got the truth, and they want you to hear it. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Ryan right over, and they're like, yes and amen, let's do this. And then there's people who sort of want to sit back a little bit more, maybe even want to sit on their hands, and they go, if I could be silent salt and silent light, that would be great. I'm going to choose that, and I'm not going to engage much with the world around me. And I don't know if either of those options is the option that Jesus would choose. In fact, I'm confident that 
Neither of them work because they don't reflect the life that he lived and they don't reflect the life that he invites you and I to live either. There's this tension, isn't there? How do we live in the kingdom of God? How do we live interacting with the people around us, the people around us who wrong us, the people around us who do us wrong, the the family, the neighborhood, the, the friends that, man, we're just at odds with sometimes? Do we bowl them over? Or do we sit on our hands? Do nothing? Hold our tongue? And what Jesus would say is, there's a third way. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 7, and he's going to talk about this third way. Now, this section that we're going to be looking at flows directly out of the section that we studied last week. If you weren't here, let me give you a one-minute synopsis of the message from last week. Jesus says, do not what? Judge. Do not judge. We said there's two definitions of that word judge. One definition of the word judge means simply to discern, to see something as right or wrong or to identify what a thing in front of you is. That's a judgment. That's not the type of judgment Jesus is talking about. We make those kind of judgments all the time. In fact, you can't read the Sermon on the Mount without having a lens towards discernment. Some things are better than others, Jesus says. The judgment Jesus talks about, though, is when we take the gavel and we look somebody else in the eye and we don't just say, you're you're, you're wrong about this. We say, you're wrong, period, and we say, you're condemned, you're guilty. And what Jesus says is, that's not a way to live where you embody the kingdom. He ends that section by saying, don't give to dogs what is sacred and don't throw your pearls to pigs. Now, are pearls a good thing? Valuable, right? What can pigs do with pearls, though? Not a whole lot, right? And I I said last week, and I'll say it again, I I mentioned in the first service of last week, no pig has ever worn a pearl. And somebody came up to me and showed me a picture of Miss Piggy. And I stood corrected. She's wearing the bling. But most pigs don't wear pearls. Pearls are good, but pigs can't do anything with them. And what Jesus wants to say to you and I is, it is great to say true things, but don't just say true things. Say true things that are also helpful. Live in the way of wisdom. Be discerning about the world around you. And then he jumps right into this passage. Now, before we go there, my guess is that most people in this room have heard this passage taught a certain way. And what I'd like you to do is try to come to the text with fresh eyes because I don't think it's about what you think it's about. Verse 7, chapter 7, Matthew. You there? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, so, therefore, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Ask, seek, knock. 
How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, have been taught that this is about prayer? Ask, seek, knock. I'll put my hand up. I certainly have. Here's the only problem with that. Verses 1 through 12 are one thought from Jesus. Verse 1, he says, do not judge. Verse 12, he gives you the opposite of being a judgmental presence in the world. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's this thread that Jesus is pulling through this teaching. I don't think that verses 7 and 8 are about prayer. I don't think it's about asking God. I think it's actually an approach that we take to other people that Jesus is talking about. Now, before you put your Bible in your pocket and go, no, this is about prayer and I'm out of here, Paulson. Um, let me say, there are portions of this passage that are about prayer. But the primary thrust is about the way that you interact with the people around you, the way that you treat the people around you, and the presence that you carry into your workplace, into your neighborhood, and into your family. If I could summarize these 12 verses with a little help from my friend Dallas Willard, here's what I would say. These 12 verses, how could we summarize them? I think something like this would work well. Instead of trying to control and condemn people with our judgments and pearls, our wisdom. We approach them in humility, while simultaneously standing before our good Father with our requests for them. This passage, I believe, is about how to be released into a Red Rover world where we don't just bowl over the people around us and we don't just sit on our hands and zip our mouth and keep quiet. It's about how to be a kingdom presence in our world. These passages, these verses specifically, here's how I might summarize them. We navigate the tension of life in two kingdoms through thoughtful interaction and bold intercession. Thoughtful interaction with the people around us and bold intercession to the God who is for us. So look at this passage again with me because I think there's going to be some things that start to stand out. Remember, Jesus has just talked about operating in a way of wisdom, not just giving people things that are true, but looking at who they are and where they are and what's going on in their life. And he says, listen, don't throw your pearls before pigs. It's good, it's valuable, but they can't do anything with them. And then he goes directly into this passage, ask, seek, knock. Try to read it without that little heading there. It just flows right one into the other. Verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And Jesus is talking, I believe, about the way that we interact with the people around us. And he goes in sort of ascending order of urgency. If someone's right in front of you, ask them questions. If someone is not near you, is distant from you, seek them out. If there's a wall or a door between you and someone else, which if you've ever lived in any sort of family or had friendships, you know that has a tendency to happen sometimes. Yes? Jesus says, and when it does, knock. Don't break down the door. Don't force yourself in, but knock. That's how you operate. That's how you interact in the world around you. You humbly pursue 
That's what a kingdom ethic and a kingdom life looks like. So let's take each one of these and just ask a few questions about it, dissect these a little bit. Ask. When people are in close proximity to you, ask. Now, asking is different than forcing yourself in, is it not? Asking allows you to stand with somebody rather than against somebody. Asking isn't a debate. Asking is a communal seeking after what's true. Don't picture yourself on other sides of the line. Picture yourself with your arm right next to and around the other. I love the way the Dallas Lord put it. He said this, Asking is the great law of the spiritual world through which things are accomplished in cooperation with God and yet in harmony with the freedom and worth of every individual. There is great power in asking and asking questions. You know who knows this? Your kids. Your kids know it. They did a study one time, and they found out that four-year-olds ask 437 questions every single day. I read the study twice just to make sure they didn't mean before breakfast. Can I get an amen, right? Like, sometimes our kids ask us so many questions, Kelly and I are like, we just can't. We can't anymore. Like, we give up. We're just in a fetal position on the, in the kitchen going, you just get one more today. Just one more question. That's it, right? But our kids know there's... There's power in questions. I love the way that John Maxwell, the great leadership guru, put it when he said, good questions inform, but great questions transform. You know who knew this? Jesus. If you were to do a study and you were to just take the gospel accounts, the four gospels of, of Jesus's, written about Jesus' life, and you were to take a month and read through them and write down every time Jesus asks a question in four accounts of Jesus' life, you would find over 300 questions that he asked. Questions like, to the disciples, why are you so afraid? To Peter, who do you say that I am? To the disciples, do you believe? To James and John, what do you want me to do for you? To the rich man, why do you call me good? Let's have a conversation about goodness. To John's disciples, what are you looking for? To the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? To the woman caught in the act of adultery, who condemns you? To the paralytic, do you want to get well? Question, how many of those questions does Jesus not know the answer to? <laughs> I mean, like, put the, let's try this on for size. He knows the answer to every single question. Why in the world does he spend most of his ministry responding to questions with other questions and speaking into what seems to be clear, questions? Like, I was taught in seminary that a good sermon is one people walk away with clarity from. You know who disagreed with that? Jesus, right? <laughs> most people walked away from his teaching going, I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't have a category to put that in. 
And it seems as though that Jesus was way more interested in the conversation than he was in clarity, because here's what he knows. Truth imposed will never be truth received. You may want to just, if you're taking notes, just write that down. Truth imposed will not be truth received. If you have kids that you want to learn to love and follow Jesus, say it with me. Truth imposed will not be truth received. So maybe, just maybe, we have to get a little bit better at asking questions. I, Eric Nevins, uh, he's over here on this side. Where he's just wave. Eric Nevins, um, one of our el- former elders, and he hosts a, a podcast show where he interviews different people called Halfway There. And one time on his Facebook, uh, he posted this question to his listening audience. He said, what's the best question you've ever been asked? And I thought, that's a great question. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> and there was somebody from our church that responded, the best question I've ever been asked is, is who are you? Who are you? Another person from our community said, the best question I've ever been asked is, if you could live without fear, what would you do? Another person asked, where's the beef? I don't know what you do with that one. It just seemed like a good, seemed like a good question. What if we got a lot better at asking questions? Who are you? If you weren't afraid, what would you do? Um, Maybe we got better at asking questions of other people, people that maybe had a different perspective of faith. Maybe we started by just asking what they think. And what if we followed that question up with this great question, how did you come to that conclusion? Without putting them down, but just opening yourself up. Here's the deal. You might learn something you'll certainly learn something about them. You might learn something about God. What if we followed that up with, man, if what you believe is true, would the world be a better place? See how questions can be a thread that you start to ask somebody and they start to open people up? Jesus knew that. Ask, he says. What if, what if we got better at asking ourselves questions? What if we got better at asking ourselves things like, Am I becoming more approachable to people? Am I becoming more aware of the people around me? Am I becoming more um, of a listening presence? Do I appreciate people? Do I say thank you? Who am I becoming? What if you got better at asking yourself those questions? See, Jesus says, ask. It's one of the laws just woven into the cosmos. Ask. And then he says, seek. Seek people who are just out of reach. There's great power in questions, and there's great power in presence. Seek people out. It's easier to be preoccupied than it is to be present, isn't it? See, in Jesus' day, there was a dividing wall, the dividing wall between um, Jews and Greeks, and it made a, a, a vacuum between them that couldn't, be, uh, that couldn't be crossed, a chasm that couldn't be crossed. In our day, if Jesus were to say the same thing today... I think you would say there's the great chasm of technology. Your phones often stand between you. (laughs) That you're tweeting and texting people that are miles away. And yet the person right in front of you is often ignored. Seek. Become present where you are. You can be someplace and not be there. You know that, right? And from infancy... 
Our bodies tell us we were wired for connection. So moms and dads look at a baby and they establish what psychologists call attunement, where they just start to have a resonance between them and life is given to this child just by looking at them. But the same thing happens as we get older. You know, you can establish connection. You can seek after people just by showing up. Showing up at a play, showing up at a game, showing up at a concert. We want to be wanted. It's where our, our hearts start to open up. That's true in marriages. It's true in friendship. It's true in life. Friends, before you speak up, show up. Show up. It's what Jesus is saying, seek. And it's the way that he interacts with us. When asked what his mission was, Jesus says, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. Paul goes on to write that while we were yet enemies of God, he loved us and gave himself up for us. He has been seeking after you since the day that you were born. Somebody say amen. That's good news. He's saying, just emulate the way that I've gone after you. Seek as opposed to judging or condemning. Seek as opposed to giving up. Seek as opposed to ignoring. Seek people. Be present with them. And finally, he says, and knock. Where there's separation of some kind. Ask for the invitation in. We live in a broken world, and our goal is not to avoid the darkness, and our goal is not to just say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Ryan right over. I'm so glad you called my name. Thank you. (laughs) But rather, it's to bring light, to bring hope, to bring good into the pain. And Jesus models this for us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where he says to the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and what? And I knock. As opposed to the Roman soldiers who demanded hospitality, when they came to your door, they could beat it down. You had to bring them in. You had to give them a place to stay. You had to give them a meal. And Jesus says, that's not the way I operate. You, I'm inviting you to invite me in. And what Jesus knows is what Soren Kierkegaard wrote about years and years later, the great Danish philosopher, and he said, all the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart. It must be unlocked from the inside. And so we ask for permission rather than lobbing truth bombs. We love as a way to influence. That's the way that we stand in this middle ground, not bowling people over and not just zipping our mouth and sitting on our hands. We ask and we seek and we knock. If you're looking for some resources this week, um, can I commend two books to you? One is uh, called The Allure of Gentleness by Dallas Willard. You may pick up, I'm sort of fond of him. Um, I think he's brilliant. And it's an approach to evangelism and apologetics that's both witty and brilliant and respectful of the people that you interact with. That shouldn't be like a, oh my goodness, type of mentality. That's how Jesus interacted with people. The second book that I think is um, really engaging and interesting is called Questioning and Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. And the way Jesus did that was by asking questions. Both those books might be a great way for you to start asking, seeking, and knocking. 
in the lives of other people that you have the chance to interact with. So some of you are going, okay, Paulson, well, that that part I can get on board with, but what do you do with Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9? That's a great question. Let's go there. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? It's a rhetorical question. Who would do that? No one. Pause. Some of you have a narrative going on in your head where you go, well, I know some fathers who are really evil who have done bad things. And I know that there's people in this room who you've been deeply wounded by parents in your life, parents who let you down. And the reason that feels so wrong for us and the reason we push back against these words of Jesus, I think actually validate his argument. We go, that's messed up. That's wrong. That's contrary to the way that we were created. I think our rebuke of that actually validates Jesus' argument where we go, yeah, you're right. You're right. Who would do that? And if somebody did, we'd say, that's messed up. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, though you're broken, though you're wicked, though you're messed up, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here's what Jesus does. Remember, it's in the context of judgment and how we interact with the people around us. What Jesus does is he gives you this principle, ask, seek, knock, and then he gives you an illustration of the power of asking and seeking and knocking. He says, listen, it works with God. Might it work with everyone else? And what Jesus is talking about here in the context of this passage, I believe, is intercession, is that we stand in the middle of these two worlds, the kingdom world and the empire world, the world that we long for and that's here and that we have to choose and the world that's natural and everywhere around us and people wrong us and hurt us and it's broken and it's painful and we have questions. And we stand in the middle of both of those worlds with this confidence that God is present, that God's here that he loves us, that he's good. Look up at me for just a moment. When I believe that God is present, that he hears, and that he's good, I don't need to control all the people and the circumstances around me. I don't need to lob my judgments. I can simply step back and ask and seek and knock with the conviction that God is at work. See, here's what Jesus is not saying in this passage. Jesus is not saying, if you pray for something, you're automatically going to get it. You only have to live long enough or pray enough prayers or bury enough people young who you deeply love to know that that's not true. And if you think it's true, just do an experiment for me. This week, will you pray for a Rolls Royce, okay? But not just for you. Pray for one for me also, okay? Watch me next week, like next Sunday morning, I'm like, bum, 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 bum. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying. And you've probably heard it taught that way. It's not what he's saying. And can we just for a moment take a step back and say, praise God, that's not what he's saying? Because how many of us, if we knew we got everything we prayed for, would keep praying? I mean, that's a great burden to bear, is it not? 
To think that you're wiser than God, so anything you ask for, he has to give you? How many of you thank God for unanswered prayers? There's a country song about that. Yeah. There's not. There should be, right? Yeah. No, no. See, if we believe that God is powerful enough to say yes, lean in for a second. If we believe God is powerful enough to say yes, we must also believe he's wise enough to know whether or not he should. And not even Jesus got everything he prayed for. Take, I mean, take that in. That's not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying God loves giving good gifts to his kids. And every time you see a father or a mother delight in giving something good to their kids, they're reflecting God in heaven. He loves giving good things to his kids. Um, a few Christmases ago, I think it's about four years ago now, Ethan was just about to turn five years old. And we were on a little bit of a budget that year, and he wanted one of these ATVs that you drive around on, not like the real deal, but the toy one. And so we went, and we found one on Craigslist. And we went and got it down in Castle Rock, and we cleaned it all up and charged up the battery. And he opened it on, Sunday mor- or on Christmas morning and was just like beside himself, right? I was like, oh my goodness, mom and dad, thank you so much. And he got on that little ATV in the snow in the backyard and he started to go around the backyard and he made it maybe around like half of the backyard. And the battery gave out and the back wheel stopped working. And I was like, ha, gotcha. No, I wasn't. I'm not an evil father, right? Like, you guys are like, oh man, what? what's wrong with you? No, no, I didn't. Like, I was actually, Kelly and I both, we were just like, oh my gosh. Like, in order to save a few bucks, we went the cheap route and gave him something that was garbage. And now he's heartbroken. There was nothing in us that went, so glad you're disappointed this Christmas. (laughs) That's what I had in mind. No. And if we love giving good gifts to our kids, and we do, how much more does our perfect Heavenly Father love giving good gifts to His? We can have confidence in our God, and it frees us from having to control the people around us. I don't need to force things. I don't need to be the Savior, and I don't need to be the judge. I can just stand in this nebulous in-between sometimes, Not having to bowl my way over people and not having to just sit on my hands and zip my mouth shut, but saying to God, God, work, please, move, please, do something, please. And I'll keep asking and I'll keep seeking and I'll keep knocking on their door, believing God that you are at work. So his illustration about asking, seeking, knocking in is about prayer. I love the way that Dallas Willard defined prayer. He said, prayer is just simply talking to God about what we are doing together. Prayer, the most important spiritual task in the lives of apprentices of Jesus is to continually throughout the day put our attention and our affection back on God. To learn to live in such a way that we're in communion with our heavenly Father. And Jesus says two things about your God in this text. He says, one, your God hears. There are no prayers that hit the ceiling that don't make it to him. 
Okay, so just sit back for a second. The God who reigns above the cosmos, the King of kings, Lord of lords, calls out every star by name each evening, causes the sun to dance with joy across the sky every day. That same God hears every prayer you pray. Everyone. And secondly, Jesus says, that same God is good. And so what Jesus wants to do in this passage is focus not so much on the skill or the technique of praying, but on the character of the one to whom we pray. He's through and through. He is good. In fact, in the book of James, it says every good and perfect gift comes from him. He loves giving good gifts to his kids. And you know what God's response to your prayer is? Giving. Your prayer is powerful. And that's admittedly a mystery of how that works with his sovereignty and humanity's free will and all that, how that all works together. Jesus doesn't intend to answer those questions there, only to say your prayer, look up at me for a second, works. It, It has an impact on the world around us. And then a companion text in Luke chapter 11, where this is a sermon on the plain, but a very similar teaching of Jesus, here's what he says. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Does this sound familiar? Okay, good. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give whom? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It seems as though Jesus is saying here, when you ask, you receive, and you receive the greatest thing you could ever ask for. God says, and that's me, and that's me. And you receive wisdom to know how to continue to ask and continue to seek and continue to knock when it doesn't seem like there's any movement you receive from your great God. So let's do a quick thought experiment. Close your eyes for a second. If God were to have answered every single prayer you prayed this last week, what would be different? What would be different in your life? What would be different in your relationships? What would be different in his world? Who would be influenced by your prayer? I think it's a powerful, I think it's a powerful question to ask. Because oftentimes our prayer is just a little bit too small. If God answered every prayer, what would change? Would the the 200,000 people displaced because of massive floods in in the Indian state, would, would that change? What about some of the atrocities going around the globe? Would that change? It's just, just a question. If you're one of those people that go, man, I, I want to grow in the discipline of prayer and how I approach God. Um, Daryl Grassman and some people from our Watchman prayer team are going to be doing a class on Sunday morning starting this fall where they're going to sort of get into how do we become people more and more of prayer. I'd encourage you to check that out. Steve and Penny Schroeder are going to do a class this fall on how to live in the kingdom of God, and prayer is an integral part of how to live in God's kingdom. Yes? 
Here's another thing you could do this week, though. If you want to get better or practice or train in how to confidently approach God, what if you did what the Christian community has been doing for centuries, something that they call fixed hour prayer? And you can just set a little alarm on your phone or on your watch. Maybe you do it at 6 a.m. or um, maybe you don't see 6 a.m., but you do it a few times throughout the day. And it's an encouragement just to pause and to pray and to remember that God hears, that he's present. What are you going to do? Because we don't just want to come to be informed. We want to come to be transformed, transformed. So here's how Jesus finishes this section. And it is all one section. He says, so, so in light of what you've just heard, about asking, seeking, knocking, and in light of what you've just heard about your Father who's good in heaven, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. See how this is a bookend to the judgment that we often lob towards people? Jesus is having one complete thought here. Instead of judging, how about you do this? In everything. And everything in this sense means like um, whether it's sleeping or eating or going to work or hanging out in your neighborhood or going to the park or wherever you are, do to whom? Others. There's two primary words Jesus could have chosen for this word. He could have used the word Adelphoi. Will you say that with me? Adelphoi. And it means brothers. It means your tribe. The people who you worship with, the people who you look like, the people you talk to often, your people. That's not the word he chose. There's this other word, anthropoi. Will you say that with me? Anthropoi. It's where we get our word anthropology. It's this idea of humanity, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. You've never met somebody that you were not called to love or interact with in the way that you want to be interacted with. So in everything, due to everyone, what you would have them do to you. So how do we live in this sort of Red Rover world where it often feels like we've got to pump our chest up and bowl people over, or our other option is to just sort of sit on our hands? Jesus says, well, how about you humbly pursue others and confidently approach God and intentionally choose love? What if you did that? In Jesus' day, there was two sort of prevailing thoughts about this idea. The first was from a really popular rabbi named Hillel who preceded Jesus. And here's what Hillel taught his disciples. In line with this golden rule, he said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, while the rest is commentary. Now notice, notice that he's saying a similar thing to Jesus, but what do you have to do to fulfill the command that Hillel says is the greatest? Nothing. You just sit back. You can go live sequestered in the wilderness, not interact with anybody else, and you will fulfill the law of not doing to others what you wish that they wouldn't do to you. 
But when Jesus flips this on its head, he makes it active. He says to his followers, if you're going to be my disciples, you don't wait for the other person to do the right thing. You don't wait for someone to show you love. You don't hope that things get better between you and them. You are called as a disciple of Jesus to actively love the people in your life and to treat them in the way that you wish they would treat you. And what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for the entire law is summed up in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same thing Jesus says. This sums up, this is the cliff notes of the entire Old Testament. What do you want others to do? To, what do you want others to do to you? Okay, now go and do that to them. See, here's what Jesus knows. We love us some us. <laughs> we love ourselves. And he's not saying that that's necessarily all the time wrong. What he's saying is you typically know how you'd want to be treated in that situation. And now your goal is to treat others in the same way you wish you were treated. So how would you want to be treated at work? 95% of leaders say they prefer to be asked questions rather than told what to do. But 50% of the time, they give instructions. <laughs> how do you want to be treated? If you cut somebody off in traffic, how do you want to be treated? I was driving our minivan the other day, and I got the longest like middle finger I've ever received in a car. Driving a minivan, I'm like, who are you people, right? Like, it's, just, it's part of my counseling. You know? If you're responsible for a miscommunication, how do you want to be treated? If you fail the people around you, how do you want to be treated? If you've immigrated from another country, how do you want to be treated? And what Jesus is saying is, let's not overcomplicate this. We have one clarifying question. How do you want to be treated? And then go and treat the people around you that way. So, as we close, let me give you one question to ask. All of us probably have a situation in our life right now with the relationships that God has blessed us with and given us. One thing going on where we have a conflict, close your eyes and think about it. Who might it be with somebody? And let's lay this Jesus way over that question. How would you want them to respond to you? What would you want them to do? What would you want them to say? Because when we choose love, we imitate our Father in heaven. We love because he first loved us. A few years ago, close with this, a few years ago, we had the chance um, to host a quilt show because Carolyn Schmidt is part of a quilting society and we had good walls. And um, we used the walls going down our kids' hallway. And all of these quilts were really valuable. People had put time and effort and money into them, lots of time. And so all of them had this do not touch sign on every single quilt. And so my kids would go get glazed donuts before they went to Sunday school, and then they'd go like this, down the hall, right? 
Like, I believe they touched every single one. I'm sorry, Carolyn, okay? And it's interesting because every day we walk out into God's hallway full of extremely valuable people, people that he loves dearly, you included. And he doesn't want us to avoid them. And he doesn't want us to red rover, red rover, barrel them right over. No. He invites us to ask, to ask better questions. He calls us to seek. He calls us to knock. He calls us to pray. And he calls us to love, to reach out and to touch the people that are difficult, the people that are tough, the people that are broken, the people that are lovely, all of them, period. Mother Teresa was once asked, what do you see when you walk around the streets of Calcutta? And she said, I see Jesus in disguise. So, South Fellowship Church, here's what I say. Red Rover, Red Rover, send South Fellowship right over, but not to barrel through and not just to sit back but to ask, seek, knock, pray, and love. In an effort to say we don't just want this to be about information, but transformation, a few practices that I want to encourage you to. Some of them I've talked about already in the, this message, but what might you do in light of what we've heard from the scriptures today? And we want to get more and more serious about actually saying we're going to try some of these things. And Aaron has a video camera set up in the back that right after the service, if you did the practices last week or maybe one of them and God did something in your heart or through you, through them, we would love to hear your story. It can be 30 seconds. It can be one minute. But go back right after the service and tell your story. Maybe this week you spend a day where you don't give your opinion unless it's asked for. Somebody first service went, huh? <laughs> it was awesome. It was priceless. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. And you practice the art of asking questions. What if this week you practiced fixed hour prayer one day or maybe more? Or maybe this week you memorized Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Maybe that's just rolling through your head this week. Or maybe this week, this is a practice I learned from my friend Carolyn. Maybe in the morning and the evening you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and put your name in the place of love. Kelly is patient, Kelly is kind, Kelly doesn't envy, Kelly doesn't boast. And the whole time you do this, you ask the Spirit of God, will you affirm where this is true and will you convict where it's not and lead me in the way of righteousness? What are you going to do this week? I encourage you to write it down so you don't forget. Jesus, we want to be people who live well with our feet in two different worlds. God, we don't want to bull people over with the truth. And God, we don't want to just sit back and do or say nothing. So Lord, help us ask better questions. Help us seek people out and be present. Help us knock and ask for an invitation into their life. God, help us show up before we speak up. And Jesus, I pray that all the while we will be people interacting with you, living in your world, your kingdom, and displaying your love. Jesus, make us more like you, we pray.
in his name. And all God's people said,